Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Join Hoda Kotfi for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me, every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Kelly McMasters is the author of The Leaving Season, a memoir and essays. And by the way, I loved this book so much that I have chosen it for Zibby's Book Club. So you can join Zibby's Book Club by going to zibbysbookclub.com and signing up. And you can join our 30-minute conversation followed by 30-minute Q&A with Kelly McMasters herself. Kelly is an essayist, professor, mother, and former bookshop owner. She is the author of The Leaving Season, a memoir and essays, and co-editor of the ABA national bestseller, Wanting, Women Writing About Desire. Her first book, Welcome to Shirley, a memoir from an atomic town, was listed as one of Oprah's top five summer memoirs. 
and is the basis for the documentary film The Atomic States of America, a 2012 Sundance selection. The anthology she co-edited with Margot Kahn, This is the Place, Women Writing About Home, was a New York Times editor's choice. Her essays, reviews, and articles have appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post Magazine, the Paris Review, the American Scholar, River Teeth, a journal of narrative nonfiction, Tin House, Newsday, Time Out, Columbia Magazine, and Mr. Beller's Neighborhood, among others. She holds a BA from Vassar College and an MFA in nonfiction writing from Columbia's School of the Arts and is the recipient of a Pushcart nomination and an Orion Book Award nomination. Kelly has spoken about creative nonfiction at TEDx, authors at Google, and more. She has also taught at MediaBistro.com, Franklin and Marshall College, and in the undergraduate writing programs and journalism graduate school at Columbia University, among others. She is currently an associate professor of English and director of publishing studies at Hofstra University in New York. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your memoir, The Leaving Season, a memoir in essays. Thank you so much, Zibby. I'm thrilled to be here. It's really exciting. As I was just saying to you before we started, I am like a hundred percent obsessed with this book. It's the best book I've read in so long. It's so good. And you know, I just talked, it'll be the September book club pick for Zippy's book club. So that's great. And also we've started all these local chapters. So now people can read not just like virtually, but all over and hoping to grow that even more by September. So, and in fact, if anyone listening wants to start a book club chapter, you can email info at zippiesbookclub.com and start your own chapter and we'll give you all the tools you need. But um, this book is so good and everyone has to read it. Thanks, Sibby. I really, uh, that means the world, especially as, you know, somebody who has traveled some similar roads. Uh, (laughs) I know. I also really love Maggie Smith's book and I was on Instagram and watching, you know, obviously you were at her event and like supporting her and loved her book and as did everybody. But um, I do feel like the two of them go hand in hand, those two books. Like, and in fact, if anyone is ever getting a divorce, this should be the gift package. Like, okay, here you go. Just like read these two books. End of story. <laughs> I love that. And yes, Maggie's book is amazing. I was so thrilled when she read mine and wrote her beautiful blurb for The Leaving Season. And, you know, I think, I hope maybe what you're what you're talking about is that both books, even though they are covering some really difficult terrain, ultimately they are stories of hope and renewal. Yes. So that's, that is what I think I needed when I was going through the yep. divorce, especially what I still need every day, uh, even though I'm way past it. And that's what I hope that this book can ultimately be. Yes. Well, it's about sort of reinvention and it's, it's, it doesn't have to be divorce. It could be anything you're going through that sort of didn't go the way you thought, or for anyone who's felt like there was a time in their life when they were kind of losing themselves a little bit in whatever, for whatever the reason, career, loss, relationships, like there's so many reasons how we, so many ways we like lose touch with ourselves. And this is all about like getting back to it. And I don't don't know. And hers, I think, in a way. But anyway, maybe I should back up. Okay. Kelly, why don't you tell listeners what The Leaving Season is about? All right. Well, The Leaving Season is about just that. The fact that leaving takes a very long time. And there are so many different types of leaving, which is what you were just talking about. There's leaving, uh, you know, jobs, leaving places, leaving homes, leaving a a self behind and of course leaving marriages and i think uh what i when i was putting these essays together and they are essays individual essays although they can be read all together as one cohesive story i think 
that is really what I realized was it was a collection of moments when I should have left, didn't leave, left when I shouldn't have, (laughs) all of these different types of leavings. And I think when I was going through the divorce uh, and people would hear that I was divorced or going through a divorce, their number one question was always, you know, they would pull me to the side of either a wedding or a PTA event and say, how did you know it was the it was the right thing to do? How did you know you had to leave? And I think that's the the other point of the book is A, there's no one answer. And B, that answer is always changing. And so I think that's true for every type of leaving. Well, you also made a good point when people were asking you, which I personally found as well, that it's mostly about their needing to figure out what they should do about their own relationships. In fact, I'm almost positive I dog-eared this page because I love what you wrote about it. So I'm just going to read this. Was there a moment you knew you wanted to end your marriage? This is the question everyone always asks, the still married ones, after one too many glasses of wine at the PTA fundraiser, at the ladies' lunch after chaperoning the first grade aquarium trip, in the corner of the patio at the neighborhood 4th of July party alongside the dance floor at weddings. After a while, I came to understand that they were really asking about themselves, matching their experience with mine, pulling a measuring tape around my rib cage, and then circling their own to see how close the numbers fell. I mean, it's like poetry. How you? I mean, it's so true. I've tried to explain the same thing, but I, I like the way you wrote that. I would never have thought to compare it to a measuring tape around my rib cage. Beautiful, so beautiful. Thank you so much. I think people both wanted the numbers to match up. And not, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's because if you know, you know, you don't need somebody else to tell you. And yet you don't want it to be true. If you know you have to leave, the hardest thing is admitting that to yourself, I think. Because once you do, there's no turning back. And that's the hardest part is actually moving through it and making that choice and, and saying it aloud. That's terrible. And I think there's this, very close to that section, I talk about feeling like I'm in Divorceville, this sort of one horse town that is just the same. (laughs) And my amazing editor, Jill, she loved that section. And for a period, this book was called Divorceville. Uh, But but I think ultimately the book is, like you said, it's for somebody who's going through, has been through a divorce, but also it extends beyond that. Yes, far beyond it. That's something that you do so well is just like take the ordinary and just make it so beautiful. And what you said about debating leaving or when you're trying to decide, there's that one moment when you saw the house for sale in your town and you were like, what would my life be like if I lived there? And I think you like wrote down the number and just like kept it for a little bit. Yes. I don't know, that that moment of you like looking at the house and like how we all imagine these other lives, like what if? Mm-hmm. Right. My life would be perfect if I could only, but then of course, and that's, you know, the book takes place across three particular landscapes. We start in the city, we move to the country, and then we end up in suburbia (laughs) where I still am. (laughs) And, and I think that also happens with the the excitement and possibility of moving. It feels like the, I'm a professor as well. And the beginning of school, right? Every, the end of every August, whether it's for my kids, when we go school, school supply shopping or for myself this year, this semester, I will be organized and I will not get behind and I'm going to be great. I'm going to be a different person. And you would think 
after 47 years, <laughs> I would know myself by now. But no, the right pen is going to change everything. And I think similarly, we play tricks like that within our relationships, right? The problem isn't us. It's where we're living. It's the the damn house renovation. It's the dog, right? No, it's, it's you. And mm-hmm. so that's really difficult to come to terms with and to then think, all right, what part of it is me and not the other person? And what do I need to do about that? Wow. So amazing. Why did you decide to name your ex like R period? Mm. I feel like it's similar to the Danny Shapiro technique of, of naming. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. I think for me, this book, and I hope readers will feel this too, is about me. Uh, my children are present. He is present. Uh, plenty of other people are present. But ultimately, while this is a divorce story, and I actually like to call it a love story. I mean, every divorce story begins as a love story, right? Yes. Um, it ultimately turns into a love story with myself in a, in a strange way, right? I fall out of love with my husband, but I fall in love with this possibility of motherhood in a way that I did not understand could be possible. And for me, I'm again, this is, it's a personal story. This will not be the same for everyone. But in my experience, I was only able to become the mother that I think I had the potential to become once I left my marriage, once I became a single mother. And I was so afraid of becoming a single mom. I didn't think I could handle the kids on a normal day on my own, you know, much less every day on my own. And and yet once that happened and I was able to really interrogate and ask the questions what kind of mother do I want to be rather than just responding and reacting all the time? That turned into a really beautiful relationship. And I think in that way, I wanted to keep the spotlight in that area. And, you know, I do think that I give the reader a sense of who R is and was. And so it's not that he's a face on the page or a ghost or anything like that, but he's not the point. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not about him ultimately. It's about the changes that I went through, the the new observations that I was making and the way that those came to play. And even, you know, we owned a bookshop which I'm so excited for your Yes, I was going to mention that. <laughs> I couldn't wait to talk about it. <laughs> and you know, that that bookshop was amazing for so many reasons and that was perhaps the most heartbreaking part having to leave that bookshop. But that bookshop showed me who we were mm-hmm. and who we could never be. And so in that respect, I did feel like it was best to leave him with an initial, he has presence, but also make sure, you know, my children are also not named and that was intentional, but that way the story is trained on my narrator as a chronicler. Mm-hmm which is sort of how I wrote my first book as well. And I think that that's an important uh, point of view in nonfiction that I feel comfortable in. It's not necessarily that the spotlight is on me, but that the observations come through me and only me. And so it is observed. It is, you know, first person in every way. Interesting. 
All right. That's good. I know some people like have a different name, you know, they change the name or don't have a name. I don't know, but it was, it was a very literary, beautiful convention. I liked it. It was great. Um, and of course the spotlight is on you and, um, it's, it's so immersive that you even give us like, just like every sound and, and feeling. And I feel like I went into nature, which of course I didn't, I was like, you know, sitting inside reading this most of the time. And even like your musings on why, suburban trees don't smell. And like when you're in a, when you're in a playground, like why are you not smelling trees? But when you go out into nature, that's like all you smell and just all these little thoughts, which like change the way you see the world. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Wait, go back to the bookstore because I love that section of the book and I wanted to talk to you about it and all the relationships you made with the people there and the ones you've lost. And like, I I know, I don't like want to give things away, but that was an amazing part of the book. Tell me a little more about that experience and looking back on it, how you feel. I mean, I read it, but. Sure. Sure. So it was like many things in my life at that point, a very sort of last minute decision. (laughs) A friend had a space, we were in rural Pennsylvania. And so I imagine the cost analysis was very different than, for example, when you had to put your bookstore together, it was a dollar a square foot. So we had 250 square feet, 200 bucks a month. I mean, $250 a month. So it was, um, it was not, uh, a terrifying venture in, in that way. Uh, although then I had to learn, okay, how do I make an LLC? How do I have a relationship with Ingram? You know, all of those crazy questions. Now, of course I had a life in books for many years before that, never as a bookstore owner, which is very different, <laughs> but um, I ran a lot of readings. I ran KGB reading series and you know reviewed and wrote books and all of that. So I knew that this was a dream that I maybe thought might occur when I was, I don't know, 80, right? <laughs> you know? But never actually be a business that I could have. And I think what really cinched it for me was I grew up in a, in a town without a bookstore And so I just lived in the library, essentially. It was where I had my first job, you know. Uh, And and my children then were going to grow up in a town without a bookstore. And I realized not only would this feed me, but it would feed them. I had this sort of idealized image in my head of them, you know, walking to the bookstore after school with their backpacks and coming in. And, um, and so, you know, obviously they were very little when this began. And, and I think in the opening scene, I'm, I'm shelving books and I still have my youngest in, you know, in a baby Bjorn basically. (laughs) And I'm trying to like figure out, okay, so if he naps this long, what can I do when he's attached to me? What can I do when he's not? And it was beautiful and improvised. And I would, you know, childcare in the country is as difficult as it is anywhere else, right? But that bookstore became such a community in a way that I didn't know that I needed. And I know exactly what you mean about the people we lost. I I mean, that was, gosh, 10 years ago almost. And I just completed the audiobook a few weeks ago. And when I read that section, I just wept and I I mean, I wrote it, I knew what was coming, but it still guts me every time. And and I think, you know, that came out of a column that I wrote for the Paris Review Daily called Notes from a Bookshop. And I started this little monthly missive about what it was like. And I think 
when I came to the end of that, I never wrote the last one because it was too heartbreaking to say we're closing. And so it always felt unfinished. And when I came to this book, I knew that that was going to be the center. And I knew that I would have to write the end. And that was probably one of the hardest parts. It's another, another leaving. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, grownups. The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery. Perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the cat in the hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Oh. Well, it was, and by the way, my store is only 823 square feet. So, and we have a great deal on the space. Not as great as that, but uh, (laughs) the owner really wanted a bookstore. So we have it far below market, which is wonderful. But already having the community spot is so huge. And the gratitude from the community is out of this world. And this is like part of a giant city. This is like a section of LA, you know, as opposed to like a tiny town that like would crave a bookstore. I take it so for granted growing up in big cities that there are bookstores. Same. I did too. And that was when I realized I had to drive, I mean, nearly a hundred miles to get to the Golden Notebook, which is one of my favorite bookstores in Woodstock. Yeah. But that's a really long drive. Yeah. So, and and it it does it affects the culture. And so when the only I realized the only books that I was finding were from the library or the old church book sales. Mm-hmm. And so every book that came into the house had that like funk that smell <laughs> of other people. And and still I have a whole section um, in my bookcase of those books. And the idea of having choosing. And then having a new book and being able to support 
a writer whose books are coming out right now. And then just walking into a room and knowing that you're going to find someone who wants to talk about books with you is just incredible. And likely you're going to find other things in common too. Yes. Book lovers have something in common. It's like a whole subset of people, which is great. (laughs) You wrote a lot also about sort of struggling financially to make all this work. And you wrote about it in detail and with such compassion for yourself and for anyone in the same situation where even if you're working three jobs and even if you're doing everything right, it's like impossible. It's like a tsunami heading your way and you just like feel powerless. Talk a little bit about that and how it felt to write about it. And if you're, you know, just how you feel about it, the whole thing. Sure. Thanks. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about that. I think that is something that is really important to me in terms of my life as a writer, as well as the economics of a bookshop, as well as the economics of being a single parent. I think people are terrified to talk about money and the realities and the secrecy that's shrouded in that just, I felt drowned me in shame. And then when I did start talking to people, I realized, oh my gosh, not only is this not abnormal, am I not doing something wrong? Other people are feeling the same thing and, oh, they might have some suggestions that can help me. Mm-hmm. And so that I think is really important, just being open about that kind of stuff. I think, you know, in my writing life, I've tracked ideas about poverty and shame and, you know, working class. That's when I grew up in Shirley, that was my first book. And and that relationship between working class shame and and the feeling of powerlessness really felt familiar when we moved to the country. And so in the city, it's a little easier to pretend, right? Because, and I write about this, we would, you know, we were living in a, an artist's loft with no hot water. And so I would, and no shower or anything like that. And so I'm, you know, showering at the gym around the corner. Then we would go to a really fancy dinner with a collector. And so in New York, it's a little easier to pretend because you can do a lot with a little. Mm -hmm. And the magic is on every block. And so you can sort of figure things out and improvise in a way that you can't in the country. In the country, the beauty is all around you naturally, right? So I felt so rich just walking out into this tangle of raspberry bushes and these little newts and, you know, being able to see and smell and feel this gift of the wild that I didn't have in the city, but people there were struggling in a way that did remind me of when I was growing up in my hometown. And it was a similar it affected people similarly in their hearts, right? And in their brains. And so feeling less than, and I think really it was, you know, I don't want to attach shame to it, but for me, when, and I still have those damn yellow cards. Oh my gosh. When we had to go on assistance and that was, you know, I was the first in my family to go to college. My parents were so supportive. We had a, a beautiful home and upbringing and full of love. And you know, my dad said, you know, you don't have to get married. You are enough on your own. Uh, You are going to college. Education is the number one thing. And so I had, I really did at a point feel like I would just float off after college on this sort of golden cloud that, 
everything is good now. I I did it. I made it. (laughs) And that's not what happened. So when I suddenly was handed these yellow cards and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm back where I started in a way when, yes, I had three jobs. I opened a bookshop. You know, all of these things were going so well, uh, really. I have this beautiful home and and I thought, okay, something needs to change. And um, and I think that was a really important moment for me to sort of not just change financially, but change, just look at everything. And and everything did change from then on. And I think the idea that I mean, I still have well, I probably have four jobs now. And you know, I think that's just that's just the nature of what I've chosen to do, right? I'm a professor, I'm a writer. I run, you know, all these little things, these half jobs. Wait, what are your other half jobs? Oh gosh. Because you know, after the book, I was like, I want to know every single thing about her. I want to know what she's doing now. Like, you know, <laughs> like I want the full postscript of, of the book. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, yeah, I mean, I, so I direct a program in publishing studies and I'm a teacher. I, I, I'm a professor of English, of creative writing, mostly nonfiction. And then I also am a freelance writer and I also am a book writer and I also am part of this uh, educational nonprofit that's run in my town. I'm a mom, you know, all this stuff. It's, and I also edit and, you know, do private editing clients and things like that, that most writers do to, to make it work. And, And, And you edit anthologies. And I edit anthologies. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Yes, I love doing that work. And that's the thing. I love it all. I wouldn't change it. And some of that, again, goes back to community. And, you know, the education community here is incredible. The community of women writers through the anthologies is incredible. And so I feel so fortunate. I would love to own a bookstore again at some point. I can't add that right now. But yeah, that, of course, is also still on my list of dream jobs. Amazing. I want to figure out a way so that anybody who wants to like open a Zippy's bookshop in their town, they just like franchise it. And I, I like have a kit or something so that it's easy for people. And I don't know, that's like my big dream. Maybe I'd love that idea. Oh my gosh. So, could, wow. I could just like put the wallpaper I use or I don't know, like, you know, like they yes. all kind of look the same ish, not exactly, but you get to curate the books, but it has to be like you know, in a new way, in an interesting way. So any, yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, that's a great idea. I think books are just a way to talk about life and feelings yeah. and each other and connect. And it's all just a shorthand, really. So having a space to do that helps. Yeah. I don't know. Are you writing another book? What's going on with that? I am waiting to hear about a few grants that will help me write the book that I think I want to write. Okay. But Yes. So I will just say yes. Um, my my great-grandmother was in vaudeville. And so about, you know, a hundred years ago, when we like to think women had it much worse, you know, we couldn't vote yet. We could we had all this, all of these, you know, difficult circumstances. And she was such a modern woman and really wild and incredible and, you know, performed with Mae West. And, and she was the kind of vaudeville where she was funny and not sexy. Mm-hmm. And so she was smart, funny, and she went on, and I have this old journal of hers, but she made some decisions that wound up erasing her from our family tree. And Ooh. so, yes. Uh, and it had to do with the choice between work and her children. Hmm. And so I'm trying to, A, first 
find the real story because I'm not 100% certain that it is what I think it is. But I think it's really interesting in this sort of, you know, 2023 where we think we've kind of busted through all of this, (laughs) all of these ways that women were historically held down and and in many ways, what I'm finding looking back at her history is how free she was and how not unlike me, she we have we made different decisions, but but the sort of the cost of ambition, female ambition, choices in motherhood, they all are still the same in some surprising ways. Hmm. That sounds great. Thank you. Yeah. I have to go back. I was with Joanna Rakoff this weekend at this retreat that we did. I know. And I was like raving about your book. And she, of course, was like, well, have you gotten to this part? And I was like, I'll let you know. And I kept going. But she was saying, oh, well, you have to go back and read her first book. It was so good. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll go back. Oh, gosh. Anyway, I'm almost out of time here. I can't believe this. I feel like I've been wandering in this podcast because I want to talk to you about so much in this book, but I just hope that listeners can get the sense that I'm just so excited about your book and think you are so talented and amazing. And I am like so rooting for you in everything now that we've gone through this whole journey with you. Like I can't even explain it. So Zibi, thank you. And I just want to say that um, I really appreciate you sharing your journey, especially you know the single mom part that you have been so open about on Place in places like Instagram that I really helped me, um, and I hope that in in many ways this book would be, for example, you know, a perfect Mother's Day gift because it yes. celebrates a motherhood that isn't often uh, freely celebrated and talked about. And so I, you know, I just want to thank you for being a part of normalizing that, of making that not something scary to divulge and talk about. And thank you for sharing. Sure. I don't know if my husband would like me being called a single mother. <laughs> he feels like he's such a part of things, but that's okay. Solo no, that's, yeah. You know what I mean? It all, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> anyway, congratulations. And I saw you're doing your event with Lee Newman at Books Are Magic. So I'm going to try to come if I can, but oh my gosh, you know, I really want to come. Anyway, have so much fun and I hope this gets all the success in the world. Thank you. And thank you so much for the news. I'm so excited. I'll see you in September. I'll see you in September. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.